you're listening to sermons from Grace Bible Church in Eufaula, Oklahoma. We're a church on mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn more at gbcufaula.com. Well, good morning. Good morning, yes. It is a good morning right there. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 15 through 17. 15 through 17. And the title of this sermon is, Do Not Love the World. And today we come across, as John has been going through his letter here, we come across what Christians are not to love. So let's read it together. This is the Word of God. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much, so much for today that we get to come together as a body in Christ Jesus once again this Sunday to remember Jesus Christ, your Son, who you sent into the world, who lived a perfect and righteous life according to your law, but yet died on the cross for our sins. You've given us grace that we might be found in you, God, being righteous and just. That we have now an eternal hope, an eternal salvation in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that and how you have brought us together. How you have bought us back out of the slavery of sin. How you have called us from death to life spiritually. Let us now come together and and hear your word preached over us as we come to worship through your word. God, that it would cause us to be, have a greater desire to love you and not this world that is passing away. Help us now. Spirit, come and guide us and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you remember... Some of y'all might have done this, whether you're male or female. But do you remember when you were younger and you liked somebody? And you wanted to know if they liked you back or had any affections for you. And so what did you do? Did what any kid would do. You picked the flower and you started pulling the petals. You love me. You don't love me. And then you're left with that one petal and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. See, that game that you were playing was to show whether that person had affection for you or not. And as we've been going through the book of 1 John, John has been giving us tests to make sure that we have affection for Christ Jesus. And he's been giving us these tests to make sure that, first and foremost, that we are found to be in the faith, but also what it looks like to live a life in the faith, to continue in the faith, to grow in the faith. We mentioned that in one of our 
first sermons that there, he, he really kind of lives between three tests that he starts giving us. Uh, there's a behavioral or obedience test. There was a moral test. And there's a love test. And if you've been with us through 1 John, you know that at the heart of all of these tests is the question, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you have deep affections for Jesus Christ? You see, because as we go through this book, love is actually one of the biggest themes in 1 John. As we've been going through this book, he uses this word love around 50 times. Some people say around, just how it's derived. Uh, he uses it around 50 times. And all those 50 times are positive except one. And guess what? That is exactly where we are today. You're like, uh-oh. You see, this right here, this verse right here is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said is the great negative exhortation. So we'll dive into that. But we need to take this set of scriptures and we need to see what John is actually commanding us because right off the bat, he says, do not love the world. He gives us the command. So we need to understand this negative exhortation so that we can apply it positively to our lives. So I have three points. The first point is do not love the world. The second point is do not love the things in the world. And the third, why we should not love the world. Okay, so the first point is do not love the world. Verse 15, that's where we'll be at, is do not love the world. Now, some of y'all know this about me, that I love uh, coaching my kids in soccer. And when I was younger, and my kids, of course, were younger, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of be that parent on the sideline to cheer them on. But then, you know, I was, they noticed that I was kind of there at every practice. And next thing you know, it's like I'm not just there. They're handing the, my kid over to me with a whole team. You know, and I knew nothing about soccer, absolutely nothing. Uh, so I started taking lessons, and I started kind of following people, watched a lot of YouTube, and I, and I actually learned a lot. Uh, but when my kids were younger, I thought, man, I got to get out here, and I got to start practicing with these kids. And so I would get out there. I'm like, you know, these kids, they got to know how to practice. So I got to give 150% here out here. And, you know, when I started getting out there, a, a grown man playing with like 10-year-olds, and I'm like dribbling the ball around them and running around them, I, I started kind of realizing something. I wasn't just like running around them because of my awesome skills. I had none. I started realizing I was actually just intimidating them, you know? I was out there, a grown man, giving 150%, 50%, with 10-year-olds. So some of y'all might be looking at these tests and you might feel like you're just walking on the line. That you could just tip over one way or the other. And some of y'all might read these tests and go, I just feel intimidated because I'm not measuring up. 
So when we look at the context of this scripture, you need to understand, John is not trying to intimidate you. You see, because earlier in the verses in, in 12 through 14 in chapter 2, after John's given us the obedience test, the love test, he gives us a great reminder in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, all of you. He's writing to all of you. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He's reminding us that our sins are forgiven because of Christ Jesus. Not by anything we have done. Not by the work that we have done. There's nothing that we could have done that could have earned salvation in Christ. It was simply, he's reminding us that we are, our sins are forgiven because of the grace we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus walked in perfect righteousness. Jesus took our sins. Jesus gave us grace. And he's reminding us of that. That's why he's writing to us. Your sins are forgiven. And then he goes into the fivefold reminders of fathers, young men, and children. You have grace given to you in Christ. In Christ. So he's reminding us of that. So now as we come into verses 15 and through 17, as he's reminding you of the grace, he's, 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 and, and as we remember that Jesus has won, he is the conqueror, now he's telling us in verses 15 through 17, let's go. Now, let's get after it. If you remember that you're saved in Jesus Christ, let's go. Now we can go. Now we have a love, not of this world, but from God. So let's go. Let's not love the world anymore. That's what he's reminding us. So... He's reminding us that we have been given the love of God. So now, stop loving the world. That's what he's telling us here. And this word love, as we kind of go into this, it's in the negative sense here because there's a not in front of it. So what he's saying is, do not love, do not have deep affection for this and it's in the imperative form which is just giving us the commandment do not love the world now when we read this verse do not love the world nor the things in the world it, it really just seems so straightforward doesn't it that this is what the christian attitude towards the world should be they shouldn't love the world because they have the love of god However, I think this is one of the most misunderstood things in the entire Bible. And I say this because when it says, do not love the world or anything in the world, we have to ask, what does that mean? And I say it's confusing because the same author, John, in the Gospel of John, gives us one of the most famous verses that is literally posted on everything, right? I mean... If you see people playing football and they got it underneath their eyes, you got the sign, you know, if, if you ever watched, you know, WWF or WWE, they're holding up the sign, 316, John 316. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So on one hand, John makes it out a good thing to love the world. But then on the other hand, he says it's a bad thing to love the world. And it's the same author. So we have to ask, what does he mean? Because in one sense, we should love the world. In another sense, hate it. So it's pretty important that we understand the distinction here. That's why it's so critical um, that we understand. And so in order to understand this, we have to ask, what does he mean by do not love the world? See, when we look at this word world, it can be used in many different ways. One way it can be used is referencing the physical world or the created order, the material universe that God created back in Genesis, the mountains, the trees, the rivers, the plants. And even though it's been stained by sin from the fall, from Genesis 3, we're called to still look at its beauty and give praise to God's name. That's why in Psalm 19, 1 through 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge, His knowledge. So I do not believe that he's speaking here or commanding his readers to hate something that God created. Nor do I think that he means humanity here either, because earlier in John chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us that Christ is the propitiation of the world. And then in John 3, 16 and 17, he reminds us that, that he died for the world, that anyone who believes in him is saved. So when we look at this, do not love the world, we have to ask, is he talking about having nothing to do with people? Is he talking about having nothing to do with social interactions that you should just kind of live in a hut off the base, unplugged from the world? Is he talking about refusing medical treatments or resisting automobiles? You know, what does he mean here? And I believe what he means when he uses this word world is that the world lies still in the grip of Satan and his systems. It's the evil systems that he's talking about. See, John shows us, he uses this term multiple times in 1 John. The world is from John 3, 1 is a realm that does not or will not recognize Christ. In John 3.13, it's a world that despises people who actually follow Christ. It's a world where false prophets still go forth in 1 John 4. It's a world where the Antichrist live and do live in John, uh, 1 John 4.4. 4. And Paul uses it to show us that it's a life that does not uh, follow or submit to God's rule. That's why in Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work of the, in the sons of disobedience. So when we look at some of what the term world means, it doesn't mean the world in general but it means the world that has abandoned its creator and lives apart from his rule. It's the godless world that is 
at, at totally at enmity with God. So when John uses the word world here, he means worldliness. And when we talk about worldliness, it's, it means the, it's the kind of life that most people are living by. The average person today. It means that people love the values and pursuits of this world and what they can get out of this world as opposed to what is given by God. They're looking to gratify and exalt themselves and reject and exclude God. And they replace it, God, with themselves. So when John gives us the command, do not love the world, we have to ask then, what is appealing to you? Is worldly success more appealing to you than spiritual growth and holiness? Are you more concerned with seeking the approval of people in your circle than God? Are you concerned with expressing your Christian beliefs because you fear being ridiculed or rejected? Do you look more for material gains than eternal rewards? Have you replaced or strayed from your relationship with God and replaced him with idols? You see, what I mean by that is there are a lot of things that are not uh, bad in and of themselves. Having a husband or wife, having sex, having money. But when we start replacing our love for the creator and having more love for the created, then that's replacing him with idols. You see, John tells us, do not love the world. Do not fall back under worldliness. Do not follow the world and its systems. And he goes on, or the things in the world. Nor the things in the world. See, there, he goes on to explain this. Does it mean by these things that we're to avoid uh, playing games or uh, listening to music or watching movies and if you do those things and you know that something bad's coming do you just fast forward it and make everything makes it okay so what does he mean by these things do not love the world nor these things you see if we're going to avoid worldliness then we're going to need to know the characteristic traits of the things in the world you're going to need to know what describes worldliness. And so he tells us in 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So John, as he's writing this set of scripture through 15 through 17, it's actually one sentence. And the reason why... He's doing that and is because he's, he's really trying to connect everything. So when he says the things in the world, he then goes on to describe the, the things in the world. And what many commentators relate this, it's the unholy trinity of worldliness. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three things that he's referencing when he talks about the things in the world he, he's, he's referencing in, in, 
in a, our, uh, our attitudes and our ambitions and our affections. It's, it's, this isn't just a comprehensive list of all of our vices, but it's a list of the traits where all of our vices come from. So in a way, they serve as a prime example of the challenges we face on a daily basis. And the first one we see is the, um, the desires of the flesh. You see, there's a lot of times when we use the word desire in a positive sense. I can say I desire to provide for my family, or I desire to be a better father or husband. And these are good desires. But when we look at this word desire, it's not being used in a positive sense. You see, this word here is epithumia. And it means to have a strong desire, a strong lust, and a str- or a strong craving. And so when it combines with the word flesh, it's more than just a bodily craving. It's representing basically all of our fallen and sinful humanity. And this is what defines the, the unregenerate or the unsaved person. Look at uh, this nasty list really in Galatians 5, 19 through 20. It says, now the, work of the, the works of the flesh are evident. So here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, or divisions. That, that, that's a horrible list right here. And that's what describes kind of the idea here that he's talking about of all of our desires of the flesh. You see, John told us that the flesh profits nothing in John 6, 63. And Paul tells us that we should put no confidence in the flesh. So when we look at this, we need to understand that the desires and the lusts of the flesh, they're going to seek our attention to turn us away from the holy God. And they're going to try to put our attention to the materials and evil of this world. This is what sin does. It turns away our affections from God. You see, it crouches at the door. It's just waiting to pounce on us. See, in Genesis 4-7, God tells Cain that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You see, Cain, when he was filled with sin, we saw what happened. And if, if we are constantly being filled with that desire to sin, James 1.15 tells us, then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is it, when it's fully grown, it's going to bring forth death. See, it starts with the desire. It starts with the heart. And so if we are in Christ, the same truth is true for us today that sin is constantly crouching at the door and its desire is to wiggle its way in and push its way through in order that it might give birth so as christians as we put our faith and trust and love into jesus christ as we come and are being tempted with those desires of the flesh we cannot leave the door open for sin. We have to slam it shut. 
The Apostle John has already told us that through Jesus Christ, we have overcome the evil one. So we have to close that door for sin. We have to replace that desire with God. We have to fill it with his word. And we have to fill it with the desire to follow him. That's why Paul tells us this in Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. We cannot fall back into sleep. We have to stay awake. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. God is coming. He's coming. Our hour is drawing closer. He says the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off all the works of darkness. We have to throw them aside. We cannot play with them. We have to put on the armor of light. So that, he says in verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But, here it is. What's the armor of light? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Church, we have to continue putting on Christ daily. He is our armor. He is your light. He is your path. He is the way you are to go. We cannot continue in darkness. We cannot continue in sin. We cannot continue in love for the world or the desires of the flesh. The second thing here is the lust of the eyes. So we turn from the temptations of the flesh to those of the eyes. Those two wonderful little bitty organs that can cause so much trouble in our life. So much trouble. You see, the devil seeks to captivate our attention so much with these two little parts. He wants to show you all that the earth can offer you. He wants to show you his entire realm and say, here it is. Here's the carrot. Come chase after it. And his desire is for us to desire everything that opposes God. It doesn't matter whether it's pursuing ungodliness or not, or success or objectives or possessions or relationships. He wants you, with your little eyes, to covet. He wants you to have that greedy stare. He wants you to to focus on the act of trying to dress to impress or dress to seduce or entice. You see, with with these two little organs, thousands of sins fall under them. I want to give you a few examples of this. Do you remember Achan in Joshua 7? He was a soldier who brought defeat to Joshua's army because of the lust of the eyes. You see, God had warned Israel not to take any of the spoils from Jericho. He banned them from doing so. But Achan disobeyed. And it says in Joshua 7, 21, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 
See how beautiful it was? When I saw 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 500 shekels, what did he do? He saw them. Then I coveted them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Do you see that it was the lust of the eyes that led him into sin? And that sin affected all those around him. And it ultimately led to the defeat of the army. See, I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says the eyes, like other senses, are a gateway into the mind. And he's so right. They have direct connection to the mind. And when there is sin with the eyes, it's just a straight shot to the mind, which it helps us to start then thinking and pondering and just turning that sin over in our eyes or in our head. So it just lingers there. And if it lingers there long enough, guys, it's going to lead to action. You see, another example is in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, 6, what led to the fall of man. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. See, there it is. He uses a desire and then he shows her something. And that food was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Do you see it? She saw it, she desired it. She saw it, she desired it. Adam saw it, he was right there beside her. And he desired it, and he took, and he ate. Look what... Again, last example, look what the devil did to Jesus in Matthew 4, 8 through 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of their world and their glory. He showed him his glory. He showed him the world. He said, look, look at all this. It could be yours. All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me, desire me. Do you see what Jesus did when he closed his eyes to the seduction of Satan? He refused the desire that Satan tried to tempt him with. He refused the carrot that was promising him joy. But instead, he leaned on the word of God and he, he closed his eyes to say, and then he said, in Matthew 4, 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. He used and leaned on the word of God to stop this sin from happening. You see, we live in a world that is constantly trying to tempt us with our eyes. You turn on the TV, it's there. You, you watch any show, it's there. You, you look on social media, it's there. It's trying to tempt you. Hey, you can even be in the supermarket, it's there. The world is trying to tempt us with our eyes. But we must follow not the first Adam, 
who sinned. But we have to follow the second, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. We must long for him, desire him. We must look at, we must gaze our eyes upon him. So when your eyes are trying to tell you to sin and covet and saying that this is going to be the joy, if you just look, you can desire, follow. We have to understand and to keep our eyes on the fullness of joy that only comes through Jesus Christ. Because in Him, there is pleasure forever. But there's one more characteristic trait of the worldliness. And it's the most severe one. It's the pride of life. Some might have it as possessions. But this word life comes from the Greek word bios, which means life. It can mean possessions. It can mean your livelihood. It can mean everyday life. But it's combined with another word, the pride of life. So it literally means a false pride. It's the idea of being self-exalting, self-absorbed into one's own superiority. It's the idea that you believe all the achievements in your life is your own doing. So when John is talking about the pride of life, he, he is speaking to someone who refuses to rely on God, but instead is seeking self-dependence and self-glory. And I think one of the greatest examples of this is, comes from Luke 16, 19 through 31. I'm not going to read it to you. I'll sum it up. But it's the idea, if you remember the story, it's the rich man and Lazarus. You see, the rich man was clothed in purple fine linens, which means he had a lot, a lot of money. And he feasted greatly. Every day was Thanksgiving for him. It's like the Thanksgiving meal at our church every day for him, okay? Which is so good. But there was also another man who laid at the rich man's gate. And this man was named Lazarus. This man was so poor, he, he literally ate the dog scraps. This man was so bad off in health that he had sores that covered his body that the dogs felt sorry for him and would come and lick his sores. And so when you look at this in worldliness, you would say, well, this man, God has to love because he's done so well for himself. Whereas this man, he doesn't have health and he doesn't have wealth. So the cursing must be on this man. Well, the day drew near and both became before the Lord. One man entered heaven and the other entered hell. Lazarus entered heaven next to Abraham's side. And the rich man, who thought God would definitely love him for how blessed he is and all the stuff that he's done. Look at all my clothes. Look at my house. Look at my food. He rested in hell in torment. You see, he boasted in the pride of life. You see, we have nothing to boast about except that of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He doesn't put any stock 
in worldliness, only in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about the name you make for yourself. It's not about your elite status or your education. It's not about how healthy you are or wealthy you are. God is not impressed with what family you've come from or what you have done for yourself or what school you went to or what club you might have been part of. What God loves is when His children desire Him, come to Him, look at Him, love Him, and want to be like His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. So it leads us to the third question, or third point. Why should we not love the world? Why we should not love the world, sorry. So we have to ask about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, or the three things the world says that we must, or that John says that we must not love. Well, I want to ask the question, why? And the first thing that we see of why we should not love the world is because the world is not compatible with God's nature. That's why 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you see right there? There are two opposing sides. There is the love of the world or there is the love of the Father. But the love of the Father is not in the world. And if we are not to be in the world, then we have to be in the love of the Father. It means... That if you are constantly loving and walking in the world, you need to ask yourself, because what John is saying here is, you're not born again. It means that God is not the object of your love. He goes on in 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. What John is saying is that the evil world and all its characteristic traits are not in accordance with God. So what this means is I love what this commentary O'Donnell said is, you cannot have God as your spouse while the world is your mistress can't have both you see but that's what a large portion of people preach today hear me out people preach the prosperity gospel and they're saying if you just have enough faith you can what you can have ten thousand dollars guys that's here and you follow today they're preaching health and wealth if you just have enough faith they're having healing revivals to say, if you come up and pay the evangelist, he's going to make you well. They're putting all the focus on the world and its systems, and they're getting rich off of it. And it's heresy. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest treasure in all the world. And if you have that, then John says you have eternal life. Because that's what is in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus made it even clear. In Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one 
and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But that's what many preach today. And that is why John is saying very clear, it's incompatible with God. The second reason why we shouldn't love the world is because the world is passing away. Verse 17, it says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, what John, is, I think, is getting at is the world has no lasting future. There is no future in worldliness. It's the road that is leading to destruction. It's going bankrupt. And if you're putting all your hope, all your achievements, all your own abilities into this world, then what Paul says in Ephesians, you're the walking dead, destined for hell. You see, this word is in the present tense, which means it's disappearing now. It's in the process of self-destructing. First Peter says in 4.7, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. James 4.14 uh, says, Do you not know your life, what your life is? It's a mist that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. Go outside and go, when it's cold, and go, that's your life. You see, John is trying to show us that the world is passing away along with their desires. But my point to you is there is an alternative to loving and living for this world today. And it's that you can be heirs of an eternal world. You see, why you need not to love this world, John says, we should not love the world because the one who does the will of God abides forever. What John is saying is that those who put their saving trust in Christ Jesus have nothing to fear concerning the world's destructions. It is God's will that whoever believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ repents of their sins, and embraces Jesus as their Lord and Savior, will have eternal life, not eternal destruction. In conclusion, a couple of weeks ago, some of y'all know that I got really involved again with my kids' floats. I mean, it's just, it's just I get pulled into these things. Unbelievable. And I kind of complained a little bit, but really, to be honest with you, deep down, I really enjoy it, okay? Because I love working with kids. And, you know, during those times of uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, every night, uh, you know, we might have 50 or 60 kids down there working on a float. And uh, I love this time because it's a time that I get to really kind of try to plug into some of these kids. And, you know, these kids, you know, they're down there, and they, if you don't kind of watch them, they're just all over the place. So first thing I do is when I come down to these floats is, you know, I was working mostly with the middle school, some of the sophomores, and I would sit down I'm like, all right, guys, bring it in, bring it in. So I have a team huddle, and I'm trying to get them to have a little buy-in, hoping, hoping that it produces a little work ethic in some of these kids. 
because we only got a few hours and we're only down there for a week and we got you know and when they asked me how big of a trailer do you want do you want the 18 foot no give me the 30 footer you know I want the biggest one possible okay so there's a there has to be a little buy-in for these kids to work so I get them huddled up and I'm like okay kids what are we here to do and I'm just waiting for those kids you know to say have fun because um, I, I tell them, you know, if a kid says, I'm like, if you're here to have fun, just get out of here, you know. Uh, because I'll tell you what's fun. Winning is fun, you know. Uh, and then I, I go on, you know, if, if you like losing, raise your hand, you know. We don't want you here. Get out of here, you know, but it's funny. You know, let's see, uh, uh, 8th, 7th, and 6th graders, 50 to 60 of them. Not one of them likes losing. Not one of them. So some of y'all are here today, and I want you to evaluate your life. I'm asking. I hope you see that this world is passing away and that the light of Jesus Christ is overcoming the darkness. And I ask some of you today to evaluate your life seriously and ask the question, are you on the losing side? You see, that side, as you saw, is more concerned about what you can get in this world. Because if you are and if you're on the losing side, you need to understand this loss isn't for a little bit. It's for eternity. Why would you not want to live in the will of God? Why would you not trust His Son for salvation? Why will you not live according to His word? That's the question I want to ask you. And as Christians... There's sometimes that we get drawn in and we start casting our treasure here on this world versus heaven. And there's sometimes that when that happens, your love for God diminishes. It doesn't grow. And so when you evaluate your life and you see that you do have a heart for God, but your love for God and your desire and your affections are not growing for Him, but are growing for the world, and you're setting up idols for yourself, that take your eyes off Christ. My answer for you today is the same as those who need to be born again. John Piper says the same word that ignites the fire of love can also rekindle it. Put your hope and trust and eyes and desire upon Jesus Christ. Look to Christ. Immerse yourself with Christ through his word. Cry out to Christ. Do not be content with this world and what it can give you. Because if you do, then you're living in lukewarmness. But pursue Christ. Have a passion for Christ. And let Christ be your love. Let Christ be your life because one day you will see him in glory and you will be with him for all eternity. That is why we should not love this world. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today.
God, we thank you for this great set of scriptures, this great exhortation to not love this world because there is so much greatness in you, O oh God, how you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take our place so that we might have salvation. Let us not be conformed to this world, but be conformed to Christ. God, I pray that, that your grace would just pour over us. God, that you would just pour out your blanket of love over us, God, and that we would see you and that we would see how you have overcome Satan. You have overcome sin. You have overcome, God, what this world is. We know it's passing away. And God, I pray that today that our faith would be found upon you, that you are the solid rock in which we build. God, let us not give attention or desire or affections to what is wasting away. Let us not have a life that is set to lose. God, let us look to Christ, the conqueror, the king. Let us follow him. Give us this desire today, O oh Christ. It's in your name I pray.